you ready for God's word? You got your sermon notes? Oh yeah, got them sermon notes. All right, we are on week eight of our journey through the Sermon on the Mount, talking about being a Jesus community and what that looks like, what that feels like, really clinging to the words of Christ in the Sermon on the Mount, which is him laying out this way of Jesus. And so we've said over and over and over again, the way of Jesus is messy, but worth it. So worth it. Like keeping that food pantry full, the little free pantry is kind of messy, but y'all, it's worth it knowing that it's empty hours later and people are getting food. Amen? The way of Jesus is messy, but worth it. We're going to do a speed review. Are you ready? I'm going to practice my auctioneer skills. Not really. Week one, we started with Beatitudes. We talked about how Jesus was initiating kingdom theology. He was showing the way of his upside-down kingdom. And then week two, we talked about the same exact verses and talked about how maybe we should begin to be more concerned with being a blessing than how can we, we can be blessed. We recognize that the kingdom of God is here now through the people of God faithfully following the way of Jesus. Week three, we talked about salt and light and how Jesus calls ordinary people to live ordinary lives transformed and empowered by an extraordinary God. And we all said, sign me up. I can be ordinary but awesome through the power of the Holy Spirit. Woo! Week four. We talked about how anger is not a fruit of the Spirit, the way that we speak about people matters, and that love for our enemies is this massive heart shift that informs our actions. Week five, we talked all about guardrails and how guardrails are good, but heart transformation is even better. And we asked this question, am I simply avoiding a wreck or am I pursuing Jesus? And we want to pursue Jesus, not just avoid wrecks and rely on our guardrails, right? Week six, we talked about how motive matters. And when we think about the good things that we do for the kingdom, we have to ask ourselves, what's our motives? We had three questions. Number one, who gets the glory? Number two, is there a desire in my heart to manipulate? And number three, who am I trying to impress? Week seven, last week, we studied the Lord's Prayer. And we noticed that the way that Jesus teaches us to pray really teaches us some things about ourselves. We talked about how in the way of Jesus, it really is a together way. We talked about how this sense of escapism, this desire for heaven, is replaced by the hope for here and now transformation. Rather than being focused on just getting out of here, we stay present and concerned about God's will being done on earth as it is in heaven. We notice that God calls us in this prayer to ongoing daily dependence on God, which is why we pray for our daily bread. We talked about rather than storing up treasures, we choose generosity and daily dependence. We also talked about how a healthy soul must give and receive forgiveness. Forgiveness is essential for thriving. 
And at the end of the Lord's Prayer, we're reminded that we take ownership of our own need for guidance. Lord, lead me because I cannot lead myself. Amen? All right, so as we continue on, we're going to move on in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 34. I think I would fail as an auctioneer because I am out of breath. But would you stand with me in honor of reading God's word today? This is Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 34 in the New Living Translation. Church, let's hear the word of our Lord together. Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothes? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. The word of our Lord. You can be seated. What a word. I love when God does this. In planning out the sermon series, I had no foresight that this would be the text we would be landing on when we would be talking about food insecurity in Northwest Arkansas. God is a genius. 
So today as we go through this text, we're going to take a fly overview again. And so church, we're really looking at this text and trying to pull out the themes that we see coming out of the heart of King Jesus. And so I'm, I'm going to start with this question. This question is going to shape our entire conversation as we work our way through the text. And the question is this, from which heart posture do I view the world? Kingdom abundance or the myth of scarcity? Chew on that for a second with me. From which heart posture do I view the world? Kingdom abundance or the myth of scarcity? We're going to unpack this, but I want to compare it to an Old Testament story really quickly, the Exodus story. So the main characters in the Exodus story are the Egyptians led by Pharaoh and the Hebrew people led by God. Are you with me? (laughs) Thank you, Stephen. So we have the Egyptians and the Hebrew people. Pharaoh and Egypt are like the myth of scarcity. What do I mean by that? Well, the the Egyptians had watched God do miraculous things for the Hebrew people. They had watched God rescue the Hebrew people over and over again. And now the Hebrew people are enslaved by the Egyptians and they know that God is on their side. And so they are threatened by the Hebrews. And because they're threatened by the Hebrews, they began to protect their power and their resources by enslaving, persecuting, and killing the Hebrews. This fear of scarcity, this myth of scarcity that they lived by, that like the Hebrew people were going to rob them blind, this fear of scarcity led Pharaoh to violence, injustice, and greed. You see, God's people experienced God's abundance, and they saw this. God's people experienced God's abundance, his provision. Now, when we think about that, we cannot think in our abundance today. we got to think daily bread type provision. But God was faithful to provide for them as they were enslaved by the Egyptians. And God even called the Hebrew people to put aside vengeance and greed and to seek justice, love, kindness, and walk humbly with their God. So that's kind of framework. So when we think about Pharaoh, we think of this myth of scarcity. I don't have enough, so I'm going to scratch and claw and maintain power so that I'm safe and secure. Versus kingdom abundance, where we rely on God's faithfulness and his track record of faithfulness, and we rest and are able to love in comparison. So I want to show you a picture, this doodle from What If Jesus Was Serious will set the whole stage, and it's great to kind of look at. Perhaps this is a boiled down thought process, abundance versus scarcity. Will there be enough? If we go, no, the world is dangerous, and I must have control, therefore, I cannot listen to the commands of Jesus because if I listen to the commands of Jesus, then I will not have control. So the commands of Jesus are foolish 
and we become enslaved by fear and self-interest. Now, if we say, will there be enough? And our answer is yes. Perhaps we're thinking God will provide and I will be safe. The commands of Jesus actually make sense. Do not worry, give freely, do not love money. And therefore, because I have faith that in Jesus there will be enough, I am now free to love and serve others. That's simplified, but I kind of think it tracks. Because when I'm nervous about having enough, I 100% am not listening to the commands of Jesus anymore. So this abundance versus scarcity, I wonder which way Jesus might call us to live. Let's find out. All right, we're going to go back to the text now and review some verses. We're going to look at verses 19 through 21 again quickly. Jesus said this, Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. I think this is another one of those yes and already but not yet conversations that Jesus is inviting us into. Jesus is really calling us to prioritize kingdom realities over present pleasures and security. He's calling us to prioritize kingdom realities over present pleasures and security. I'm going to show another doodle. This is literally my favorite one in the entire book, and I hope you like it as much as I do, but I think it will help us with this conversation. Let's talk about heaven and earth for a moment. The top half is the popular view, right? We live on earth, and earth is here, and heaven is somewhere up here, and when I die, I whoop, and now I'm in heaven in eternal life, right? When actually, if we really read scripture and think about the biblical view, heaven and earth are constantly intermingling. And so I'm living my natural life, and then when I die, eternal life happens. But it's not like I'm up in the skies in heaven, because earth and heaven have been interweaving this entire time. Now, this is not a sermon about the afterlife, so don't think that. It's more about... What does it look like in the here and now that right now heaven is within our grasp? The goodness of heaven is here. It's not something we wait for. It's already here. So let's go back to the text with this in mind. When, when we read this, maybe just when I read this, these words of Jesus where he's like, don't store up treasures here, store up treasures there, right? I, I'm still thinking heaven up in the clouds with the angels and the harps. And I tend to think delayed gratification. I just live simply and someday it's all going to pay off when I'm in the clouds in heaven. But I don't know that that's what Jesus is talking about. I wonder if Jesus is talking about the ways in which heaven and earth intermingle right now. I think Jesus means that our, this present reality when he says the heavens. 
Store up your treasures in the heavens. Let's keep going. I do think that there are scriptures in God's holy word where it talks specifically about all the good things of heaven. But right here, I think Jesus is telling us that this treasure of heaven is accessible to us right now. And I wonder, church, if it's as simple as the treasure that we are banking our lives on is the treasure of the presence of God. So rather than storing up treasures, we store up our treasure in the fact that God is ours right now. And that is all the treasure, all the pleasure that we need, and it allows us to be open-handed with people. Is that tracking? Keep hanging with me. We're going to get there, I promise. So Jesus's point, I think, is that having the treasure of God, the gift of God's presence, is far more valuable in this life than any treasure the world might ever offer. If you mentally go back to that picture of heaven and earth mingling, let me simplify it for a second. Do you believe that God is with us right now? Do you? Heaven is here. Heaven is here. I, I really think it's, it's that simple. Like I said, this isn't a message on the afterlife. It's about the today life. That God is in our midst. And therefore the kingdom of God is accessible. And the gift of God's presence is more than any material gift could ever mean to us. Amen? So let's continue on. Verses 22 through 23 says this, Your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. Here's the main point for this one, and then we'll unpack According to Jesus, my heart determines what I see. According to Jesus, my heart determines what I see. I'm showing tons of doodles in this one because they were just that good. So let me show you a doodle. To, there, I need to explain something really important. So if you look at the modern view, we tend to think what you see determines your heart. Therefore, our goal becomes change the circumstances. But a more accurate ancient view is that your heart determines what you see. And so the goal becomes a transformed heart. Now, let's use some history to our advantage. Science. Here we go. Today, which I act like this is common knowledge, let me admit, I had no clue, didn't remember this from high school biology, but currently, today, we know that our eyeballs are organs that allow light to pass into our bodies, 
making sight possible. And I think that's where we get what you see transforms your heart because that's how we understand our eyeballs. But listen, in the ancient world, so the world that Jesus would have been ministering to, they had a completely flopped understanding. In the ancient world, sight was a process where light passed out of the body through the eyes. Did you catch that? So in their view, seeing was coming from the inside out. So to understand this text and understand Jesus' heart, I think we have to think through that lens. Either you have a righteous perspective, there's light in your heart that's coming out, or a wicked perspective, there is darkness in your heart, and that is what is coming out. So in that ancient culture, a common thought was the way we see the world is an indication of what is inside us. Think on that. They believed the way that we see the world is an indication of what is inside us. And y'all, that is some convicting stuff. Because let's be real, let's make it tangible. Perhaps if my heart is yucky and I think about the little free pantry and how quick the food is gone, if my heart is yucky, maybe I'm thinking, well, who's stealing all our food? But with a tender heart, perhaps a kingdom-oriented heart, I look at the very same situation and I go, oh, my word. That's how much need there is right around us. Heaven help us. Do you see the difference? How the condition of our hearts determines the way that we see things? And so perhaps this is a more faithful way of reading this text, understanding the ancient thought on how eyeballs worked. So if we look at the surrounding verses... Wealth and money is used as an example. The way we handle our wealth is a reflection of what is in our hearts. The way we look at money tells what's in our hearts. So this is kind of how I boiled it down for myself. If we don't look on the world around us from the vantage point of kingdom light, then we need a heart adjustment, right? If we don't look on the world around us from the vantage point of kingdom light, then I need to get on my knees and ask God for a heart adjustment. So yet again, we cannot avoid it, church. Jesus is saying, deal with your heart. Let me transform your heart so that when you look on my good, beautiful, but broken world, you will see good, beautiful, and not just see all the broken. According to Jesus, my heart determines what I see. I want to make a connection here between verse 24 and verse 21. So 21 said, wherever your treasure is, There, the desires of your heart will also be. 24 says, no one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. 
I really feel like this can be dialed down to one big question, and it's this. What is my ultimate concern? What is my ultimate concern? When you pull away all the clutter, what actually breaks my heart? What am I actually living for? Another doodle, by golly, I love this one. He's just so good at it. Spin the wheel of ultimate concern. Step right up. So, you know, you got your wheel here, and it lands on the thing that will define identity. It's what you find purpose in, and ultimately it's what you place your hope in. And there's all these really great options, except I do not understand why the Cubs are on there. <laughs> no. But who's your God, right? We got, we got sports, we got trophies, we got babies. I stink in love, Coco, but she is not my God. We've got America. We've got King Jesus. Woo, woo, woo. We've got money. We've got safety. We've got the world. We've got church. And so we have to ask ourselves, what defines our identity? What do we find purpose in? What is our ultimate concern? And if we're real with ourselves, church, I like to tell myself that I can prioritize lots of things. Like, I got this, God. You can be first, and I can also be concerned about safety and my daughter. But the reality is, when push comes to shove, an ultimate concern always wins out. And I think the compelling message that Jesus is hoping to call us to is that we have to let the way of Jesus surface as our ultimate concern. Because at the end of the day, everything else is just competing with that spot in our lives of ultimate concern. Whether it's safety, security, power, achievement, all of that bends the knee to King Jesus. Amen? So what is my ultimate concern? Continuing on, verses 25 through 24, if I can just summarize those briefly, talks about the provision of Jesus, of, of God, right? It talks about the lilies and the flowers and Solomon, and they're dressed beautifully. And, and Jesus is like, if God takes care of them, won't he take care of you too. And you're like, oh, right, right. And so we're compelled back to this theme we started with, this, these questions. So in your notes, I have this. Abundance mentality equals freedom to love and serve others. Scarcity mentality equals enslaved by fear and self-interest. Let's take it back to the, to the Egyptians and the Hebrew people, right? The Egyptians lived in that scarcity mentality where all the power that they had was going to be gone in a moment. So they were enslaved by fear and self-interest and as a result, enslaved other people. 
The Hebrew people were compelled by God to live from an abundance mentality, and they were free then to love and serve others. Now, they did have some grumbling in the midst of there. May we try to do so without as much grumbling, amen? (laughs) I love this picture. Another doodle that honestly really gets me at my heart. One side exhibits this scarcity mentality where the doors of our lives, or maybe literally our physical doors, right, are barred shut out of fear. Or we have abundance mentality where the door is open and there's a welcome mat. And in spite of fear that might creep up, Our lives are open to the world. Henry Nouwen said, Fear engenders fear. It never gives birth to love. Fear engenders fear. It never gives birth to love. So fear breeds worry. How many of you know that? I didn't even have to say that out loud, right? Fear breeds worry. When we're scared, we're worried, right? And Jesus know that if, knows that if we are so consumed by worry, if we're stuck in this scarcity mentality, we will be like the Egyptians. Y'all, and we have some history. Uh, when I say we, I'm kind of meaning like Western culture. We have some history of being like the Egyptians. Definitely the church has some history being like the Egyptians. We've got to admit it if we're going to get past it. So in our fear, trapped in this myth of scarcity, like the Egyptians did, we will resort to violence, injustice, and greed. In our attempts to cling to safety, security, and power, we completely miss that we rest in the kingdom abundance of God. So in the way of Jesus, rather than living in constant fear like Pharaoh did, where we're tempted to wield power for our benefit, we can choose to believe Jesus and trust that with God there is always enough. There is always abundance. And then through that belief, that trust, that faith, we are set free from this self-centered posture and we are freed to love. Can I confess something to you? Some of you might really think I'm psycho. What's new? But I want to confess something Jesus did in my life. And I share this truly meaning, this is my, my journey We're going to be on different sides of the spectrum, but I I just felt like I needed to share this. If you don't know this about me, I really did grow up kind of redneck, okay? My dad literally mounted the first squirrel that I killed, and it's still on the wall in our living room, okay? Yes. (laughs) You know... Weekends, we were shooting things. Guns, bow and arrow, woo! And until about four years ago, I was a conceal and carry girl everywhere. 
And then in my journey with Jesus, I noticed one day that I put it in my bedside table. And now, to be honest, I don't even know where it is. But I just said, that's not, that's not me. I can't, I can't do it. I can't, I can't. It just felt for me, this is, this is me, okay? Confessing the way that the Lord has been at work in me. I, I knew that I couldn't choose to dethrone safety as ultimate concern and still pack. Because my choice to pack was undercutting my declaration that fear wasn't going to ruin, run my life. So I don't know. Following the way of Jesus is messy. And it makes you do weird things. That's my confession. Okay, moving on. I think within that vein... It might be helpful for us to shift our thinking. The world is not out to get us. The world is not out to get us. Why? Because we are actually out to get the world for God's kingdom. And if we live like the world is always out to get us, there is no way for us to be like, ah, but also, that doesn't work. And so, we gotta like let the Holy Spirit cleanse that from our mind. The only way that we do this, that being about the world for the sake of God's kingdom is by following the way of Jesus which is truly the way of radical love, generosity, selflessness, and sacrifice. So with what posture do we find ourselves in? Abundance mentality with this freedom to love and serve others or scarcity mentality, enslaved by fear and self-interest. May the spirit of the living God check our hearts today. Amen? I feel like I should say, full support of you going on a hunting trip and blessing your pastor with the bounty of your hunting. I'm just not going to go with you, okay? I'm going to invite the worship team to join me up front as we go into a time of reflection. And I want to read some verses from what we read today in the message paraphrase. Eugene Peterson does such a good job in the message. So we're going to read Matthew 6, 33 and 34 in the message translation, message paraphrase. Hear the word of our Lord. Steep your life in God reality, God initiative, God provisions. Don't worry about missing out. 
you'll find all your everyday human concerns will be met. Give your entire attention to what God is doing right now. And don't get worked up about what may or may not happen tomorrow. God will help you deal with whatever hard things come up when the time comes. Oh, God will help you deal with whatever hard things come up when the time comes. Amen? So church, what posture do you find yourself in? I feel like I find myself in a place where I waffle back and forth from abundance mentality and scarcity mentality, and I want the Lord to help me live with a posture of abundance. I want to be reminded that heaven is here now and that the gift of God's presence is greater than any treasure the world could offer. I want to remember that according to Jesus, my heart determines what I see. And so if I'm seeing things that are not of God's kingdom, I wonder if my heart needs an adjustment. And today I'm challenged to really ask myself, what is my ultimate concern? When push comes to shove, what do I live for? I wrote this question down. Is the fear we're fighting an indication of the state of our heart? Is the fear we're fighting an indication of the state of our heart? Yet again, church, Jesus compels us to deal with our stinking hearts. Would you stand with me? As we go into this time of reflection, I want to invite you to pray a really meaningful prayer with me. This is the prayer of St. Patrick. And I pulled it today for us to pray together because I thought, this is such a good prayer to pray when fear compels me into scarcity mentality. When something happens and suddenly the urge to be safe is rising above my concern for the kingdom. The urge to win or achieve is rising above my concern for the kingdom. This prayer is so meaningful. So I would invite you. Would you pray this out loud with me? The prayer of St. Patrick. Together, church. Christ with me. Christ before me. Christ behind me. Christ in me. Christ beneath me. Christ above me. Christ on my right, Christ on my left. Christ when I lie down, Christ when I sit down. Christ when I arise. Christ in the heart of every man who thinks of me. Christ in the mouth of everyone who speaks of me. Christ in every eye that sees me and Christ in every ear that hears me. Oh God, hear the cries of your people. What a poignant word today, Lord. Just kind of calling us to the carpet about what concerns our heart the most. 
And so God, once again, we come before you and we say, transform our hearts. May we not live like Pharaoh with the urge to cling tighter to control. But may we live free to follow you, letting the concerns of your kingdom rise above all other concerns. Would you help us to just walk in this abundance mentality where we are free to love others? And would you just show us the ways in which we are bound to a scarcity mentality, which enslaves us to self-interest and fear? We want to walk in your way. So Holy Spirit, come speak to us now. It's in the mighty, powerful name of King Jesus we pray. Amen.